That's James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, on page 1044. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is dead. If it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith, without, my faith by deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Our second reading comes from Ruth chapter 3, and that can be found on page 226. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. 
So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lorraine. Nice to see you. My name is Paul, if we haven't met. Uh, we are in one of the most risque chapters of the whole Bible. And it's quite amusing we had all the kids in church this morning as I preached. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this amazing chapter. Uh, Father, thank you that you are the one who is always good. You're always kind. You always provide what we need. And we thank you now as we come to your word that uh, you do speak, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak boldly and clearly to each of us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you, how is your faith? Think about that question, how is your faith right now? If you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, how is your trust in Jesus right now? Did you wake up this morning thinking, God is so good I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, I'm restored, I'm redeemed. Did you wake up this morning saying, God, you are all-powerful, you know everything, thank you that you know me intimately? And has your faith shaped what you've done today? Has your faith shaped what you've done this week? Uh, This week, as you've been at work or you've been studying, has your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ actually changed anything about your week? How's your faith? William Carey, who was the the founder of the modern mission movement, had a remarkable faith. He said this in a famous sermon, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. So you wake up each day saying, God, you are extraordinary. You are amazing. You can do great things today. And when you have that kind of faith, you can attempt great things for God. You do those kind of crazy things that the world thinks, what are they on about? And William Carey didn't just preach it, he lived it. After he quoted that in a sermon, he he went to set up a mission organization in India. He was so persuaded from the word of God that God longed for all people to be saved and hear the gospel. He was so persuaded to go and make disciples of all nations. He left the UK. He sailed to India. He translated the Bible into Bengali. He set up medical reforms. He set up social reforms. He supervised the Bible translation into 36 languages. He expected great things from his God. 
And God was so faithful. That through his ministry, thousands if not millions of people came to faith in Christ. A man of remarkable, remarkable faith. Do you know those people in your life who have remarkable faith? Those people who seem to be so solid, they are so unwavering in their trust in Jesus. I think of my friend Roseanne who has spent the last 25 years as a single lady living in Japan as a missionary. Hard yards. But every day just attempting, attempting great things for God. I think of Andrew and Stephanie Browning who just dedicated much of their life to serving those poor women in Africa. I think of people I know who have left their jobs as lawyers and bankers and doctors to, to train for ministry. I think of people like you who go into your workplaces day in, day out, and you're just thinking, I want to honor God today. Martin Luther King said this, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. That is faith, just taking the next step, knowing that God is good and God is faithful and God is kind. And you don't know the outcome, but you trust him. I want to talk today about remarkable faith. Taking God as his word, claiming God's promises, and acting on what God has told you. We're going to meet three people who had remarkable faith. Their names are Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And we've met them already. If you've just joined us in this little book in Ruth, here's a quick summary of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, you meet this family called Naomi and Elimelech, and they're in the land. But they decide, they actively choose to walk away from God, to walk away from God's people, to walk away from God's promises, and they go and live in Moab, a place where... God's people are hated and God's word is mocked. They turn their back on God, but God is so gracious, he brings back the wanderer and they wake up and they come home. And Naomi brings with her her daughter-in-law who's called Ruth and Ruth is a Moabitess. She's not one of God's people. She's an outsider, but God is so gracious, he welcomes in the outsider. And Ruth says that your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And so they come back to the land, but they are penniless, they are destitute, they are poor. But God is so faithful, and God provides and God protects. That is Ruth chapter 2. Remember that story of Ruth gleaning in the field and picking up the leftovers. But God doesn't just give leftovers, God gives in abundance. He abundantly provides and he abundantly protects. And you come to the end of chapter 2 and you're thinking, God is good, yes. But Ruth and Naomi, they are still poor. And as the harvest draws to a close, the question is, what is next for Naomi? What's next for Ruth? It was very kind of Boaz to provide, but it's not permanent. And so chapter 2 ends with Ruth living with her mother-in-law. There's no security, there's no certainty, there's no hope, but they have this remarkable faith. Now, to understand chapter 3, just stick with me just for a couple more minutes. To understand chapter 3, you've got to understand your Old Testament law. So in the Old Testament, it was all about your family name. So my family name is Dale. 
and I want my family name to continue. And so in the Old Testament, you wanted your family name to continue. But if the husband died and the wife didn't have a child, the family law of the Old Testament said that the brother of the dead husband had to marry the widow to produce an heir so the family line could continue. Does that make sense? That's why you read that odd bit in Mark's Gospel where Jesus talks about this woman who has seven husbands, seven brothers, and they keep on marrying the widow, but they don't produce a child. But what happens when you run out of brothers? The Old Testament says that if you run out of brothers, there's a a relative called a guardian redeemer, a man in your family line who has the opportunity, not the obligation, but the opportunity to marry the widow to produce the family line. Does that make any sense? That's the background to chapter 3. Now Naomi has heard from Ruth that Ruth has been gleaning this field that belongs to Boaz and she's heard that he is a guardian redeemer. And that changes everything. Four things about faith tonight. Here's the first one. Faith is always grounded in God's word. Faith is always grounded in God's word. It is built on, it's rooted in the scriptures. Naomi knew the scriptures. She'd read Deuteronomy 23 or 25. She'd heard about Leviticus 25. She knew this law that there's a guardian redeemer and she takes God at his word. She believes God's promises. It was Hudson Taylor, the missionary, who said that when he was writing to his wife, he said, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. He said, we've got nothing, but we've got the promises of God and that changes everything. That is Naomi. She's living on a rubbish dump. She has nothing, but she has the promises of God and she believes God's word. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My daughter, I must find a home for you, or rest for you, where you'd be well provided for. She's saying, there's a man here, his name is Boaz, and he could be your husband. Now, Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. He is a guardian redeemer. And her mind is going, okay, God has promised that through this guardian redeemer, we can produce an heir. Now, what she, she's not saying this. She's not saying that you need a, a husband or a home to have rest. She's not saying that. This passage is not about marriage. That's a wrong application. It's not about arranged marriages. It's not about mother-in-laws meddling your dating. It's not about Ruth on Tinder going swipe left or swipe right. This is about faith. This is about a woman called Naomi who takes God at his word and believes that God can provide. It gets a bit risque in verse 3. She says to Ruth, wash. Make yourself look beautiful. Put on perfuming and get dressed in your best clothes. Look kind of beautiful. And go down to the threshing floor, the place where the The harvesters are celebrating. It's not a place for women. The men are there. They're getting drunk. But don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. There's lots of lying down in this chapter. You can read between the lines. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. 
and then go and uncover euphemism, his feet, and lie down. He will tell you what to do. This is crazy stuff. Why does Naomi tell her daughter not to do this? Why does she say, make yourself look beautiful? She does it because she believes God's word. God has promised a guardian redeemer. And this is the man. So she takes God as his word and she acts. Let me ask you, have you met people with remarkable faith? The people I know with remarkable faith, if you take their Bibles, their Bibles will be kind of dog-eared and Scripture will be underlined and highlighted because they're people who know the promises of God. Now, we're not looking for a Boaz with God and Redeemer, are we? We don't need a Boaz because we've got the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who by his blood has set us free. He is the one who's forgiven us. They're the promises of God, aren't they? If you're sitting here tonight and you believe that Jesus Christ is your redeemer, your promises are this, that you are forgiven, you are restored, you are cleansed, you are redeemed. You're a child of God. Is your life based on those promises, grounded in those truths? Do you act on those things? Do you really know what God has promised you? Charles Spurgeon said this, if you wish to know God, you must know his word. If you wish to perceive his power, you must see how he works by his word. And if you want to know God's purposes before it comes to pass, you can only discover that by reading his word. So I I keep meeting people with kind of a, a disappointed faith. And they're disappointed because they're clinging onto a promise that God never made. God's word never promises us perfect health or perfect relationships or no suffering. We've got to believe what God says and act on it. That's number one. Faith is always grounded in the the truth of Scripture. Number two, faith is always courageous. Uh, These women, Ruth and Naomi, they act boldly. They take risks. They act courageously. So so Naomi does not say, well, if they're meant to be together, God will make it happen. No, she schemed and she planned and she acted courageously. Actually, Ruth is the one who acts more courageously. Verse 5, Ruth says, I'll do whatever you say, Naomi. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. She washed, she perfumed, she dressed beautifully. She went to the threshing floor. She uncovered his feet and she lay down with him. It's remarkable faith. Remember James chapter 2 that faith without deeds is dead. This is a woman who doesn't just believe the promises. She acts on it and she does crazy things. And just so you understand how crazy it was, Uh, that Ruth is walking into a a male-dominated place after dark with men who are celebrating the harvest. She's a single woman dressed beautifully. And Boaz, verse 7, is in good spirits. He's finished eating and drinking. He's happy, he's glad, and then he goes to lie down and it's bold, verse 7. Ruth approached quietly, 
uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. Now, how's Ruth going to answer that? Who are you? She could say, I'm a widow, I'm a foreigner, I'm destitute, I'm helpless, I'm a nobody. She doesn't say this, I'm your servant, Ruth. I'm a woman of faith. And I'm acting courageously. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Cover me, she says. She's basically saying, here I am. I want to marry you. Will you be my wife, my husband? The the word for garment or cover is the same word used back in chapter 2, verse 12, when Ruth has sheltered under the wings of God. She's saying to Boaz, will you be my refuge? Will you be my security? Will you be my safety? That is remarkably courageous. See, see, in in this culture, you've got a a woman proposing to a man. That's outrageous. You've got a young woman proposing to an older man. You've got a a poor woman proposing to a wealthy man. You've got a servant proposing to her boss. You've got a Moabitess proposing to an Israelite man. That is bold, courageous faith. So where does that courage come from? It's not because she is beautiful and sexy. It's because of her faith. I want to say, friends, that if you're here as a believer in Jesus, your faith needs to lead to to courageous actions. And I love the fact that here at church, we, we are surrounded by people who are making bold, risky decisions for Jesus. Now, I look out on you and you're thinking, You've made bold choices to where to live or who to marry or who not to marry and how you spend your time and how you spend your money and you say no to all these temptations or you quit your job to do some ministry or you move countries so you can serve the Lord. And I was speaking to the the Websters this week and who on earth would choose to leave Sydney to go and live in Namibia with four little boys? Just bold, courageous Christians. So I want to ask you, what, what, what is your faith doing for your life? I often like to imagine I'm a fly on the wall at my own funeral. I want to hear what people say about me in their eulogies. And I don't want people to stand here at this lectern and say, oh, Paul Dale, you know, yeah, you had a faith in Jesus, but it was, it was a bit insipid. It was a bit weak. He didn't really act on it too much. I want people to say, you know, Paul's faith actually led him to do courageous, crazy things for Jesus. Planting churches, seeing people one for Jesus, giving up time, giving up energy, just everything for Jesus. Don't you want to be known as people, people of bold, courageous action? I hope you don't want your faith just to be safe. If you really believe in Jesus, do crazy things for him. Faith grounded in Scripture is a faith courageous in action. It's a life-transforming faith. See, Ruth's character and Boaz's character were shaped by their belief. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he said. This kindness, this covenant loyalty 
is greater than that which you showed earlier. It was kind that you left your family and came with Naomi. It was kind, verse 10, that you didn't chase after the younger man. It was kind that you waited. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all that you ask. Here it is, verse 10, verse 11. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz is saying, Ruth, the people in, in Bethlehem are talking about you, and they're not talking about your outer, outer beauty. They're talking about your character, your patience, your kindness, your love, your generosity, your goodness, your self-control. Because that's the thing about faith, that your faith in Jesus needs to change you. Your faith in Jesus needs to shape you. And Boaz is a noble man as well. Verse 12, he says, Actually, before I can take you to be my wife, there's another man out there, another guardian redeemer, and he's actually closer than I am. And so maybe he will redeem you. I love that about Boaz, that he's a man of integrity, a man of the truth. You see, friends, if you believe in Jesus, if you've got faith in Jesus, we must be known as people who tell the truth, who never speak lies, who act with integrity. People who know us must say, oh, that's a person of noble character. Think about that. The people that you work with, the people that you live with, the people that know you best. Would they say that you're a person of noble character because of your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus shaping you and transforming you? Remember when Jesus said that by your fruit, you will know them. You'll, you'll spot the good fruit and the bad fruit. It's easy to say, I have faith, isn't it? And Jesus said, well, show me. Show me by your transformed life that you really do have faith. See, faith is grounded in Scripture. It's courageous for Jesus. It radically transforms your character. And last of all, faith is a waiting faith. God often makes us wait. See, Boaz comes and says, there's another man, another guardian redeemer, and you need to wait, Ruth, to wait to see whether he will redeem you first. That's why Naomi says down in verse 18, wait, my daughter, wait until you find out what happens. A good line for us, wait until we see what God is going to do. And I love the fact that Boaz kind of gives a bit of a, a down payment or a, a deposit or a token in verse 15. He says, bring me your shawl and I'll give you six measures of barley. I'll say, enough for now, but there's more to come. Now think about your faith in Jesus. If you're here as a Christian tonight, God has made lots of promises. But lots of those promises are not for the here and now. And God always doesn't always answer your prayers immediately. He often makes you wait. And God never promised total healing in, the here, healing in the here and now. That's the resurrection bodies. He never promised there'd be no sadness or sickness or loneliness. That's for the world to come. We're called to wait and wait and wait. But just like Boaz gave Ruth this kind of down payment, this token, this pledge of more to come, here as a Christian, he's given us his Holy Spirit, hasn't he? The down payment of the thing that's about to come. 
See, we don't see Jesus face to face yet, but one day we will. That's why we live by faith, not by sight. So I'll ask you, how is your faith tonight? Are you here as a man or woman who says, I I know the promises of God, I know I'm redeemed, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm restored, and I know God's word, and I build my life on that truth. And does that lead you to do crazy, courageous things for God? It should do. And is that faith transforming you so you know as a person of noble character? And are you just longing and waiting and longing and waiting for that day when your faith will be sight? I'll finish with this poem. Wherever, wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh. His sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh and I will walk with him. Will you walk with Jesus? Will you live by faith? Expecting great things from God. So attempting great things for him. Let me pray. Father, we do want to be men and women of faith. We want to take you at your word, to believe your promises, to claim them to be true. And Father, we thank you that Jesus is our guardian redeemer, the one who has restored, redeemed, forgiven, chosen us. Help us day by day to expect those great things from you and to attempt great things for you. In Jesus' name.